Isaiah 53, verse 4, to begin. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and who can speak of his descendants? For he was cut off from the land of the living, For the transgression of my people he was stricken. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After the suffering of his soul... He will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, before he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. So what would you say was your greatest need in life? Uh, If you had a pen and paper in your hand right now and you had to write it down, your greatest need, what would you put on that list? If I asked you to come up with a list of things, I'm sure that you'd be able to come up with quite a few. Maybe you'd put on there better health, more money, nicer clothes, better friends, a long holiday, I'm not sure you might. And I'm not asking you to think about other people like the people sitting near you. Uh, that would probably be an even longer list. You might be thinking that they need singing lessons, uh, better personal hygiene, anti-dandruff shampoo, all of those things could come onto the list. But I'm talking about you and what you think your greatest need is in this life, the thing that you need above all else. As I said, in the lead up to Christmas, we're going to look at some of the promises that God made in the pages of the Old Testament and the way that they find their fulfilment in Jesus' coming. And uh, and we're looking at our greatest needs in the promises that God has made as well. Um, can I get you to turn in your Bible to Mark chapter 2? Just want to look very quickly at this passage. Mark chapter 2, and if someone can find a page number for us and give it to us, that might be helpful as well. Page number... Say that again. 991, 991 in your pew Bibles or in most of the pew Bibles. Mark chapter 2. It's a story that you probably know. It's a story about a man who has what you would consider to be a fairly obvious need. He's paralysed. His legs don't work. He's been carried on a stretcher by four of his friends to see Jesus and it's pretty obvious why they're there. One of the impressive things in this story is the lengths that these friends are willing to go to to get this man in front of Jesus. Jesus was teaching in someone's home and by this stage Jesus had quite a reputation wherever he went, crowds gathered and they have gathered in this house. The house, we're told, is packed. No way of getting in through the windows or the doors. So the four friends arrive 
desperate to see Jesus. They want to have this man placed in front of Jesus, but this place is so packed that they can't find a way in, so they take him up onto the roof, they make a hole in the roof, and they lower him down on the floor. I mean, that is pretty remarkable lengths that they've gone to in order to get this guy in front of Jesus. I grew up in a home with three brothers, one older and two younger. As you can imagine, a lot of sensitivity and caring amongst that group of four boys when they were growing up. Uh, My youngest brother had asthma, and because of his asthma, there were certain things that he wasn't allowed to eat, and chocolate was one of those. And we had a period for a few years where, without fail, one of us would buy him a very large block of chocolate for his birthday and wrap it up and the gifts would all be given and the chocolate would be placed in his hands and he'd open it and then we'd go, oh, that's right, you can't eat chocolate, can you? And we'd take it back off him and enjoy it ourselves. I seem to remember that it was quite funny at the time. I don't remember my mother laughing at it, but I think the rest of us thought that it was uh, rather humorous. Now, but can you imagine the scene here in Mark chapter 2? Packed house, Jesus teaching, you hear a bit of noise up in the roof, Finally, a stretcher is lowered down. There's a hole big enough for a stretcher to be lowered down onto the floor in front of Jesus. A man is lowered down, lying there at the feet of Jesus. There are four faces up top peering in to see what's going to happen next. I mean, it's pretty obvious what they're looking for, isn't it? They want Jesus to heal this man. But look at what Jesus says. Verse 5. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. I mean, it must have sounded like a bit of a cruel joke, mustn't it? I mean, that's not what they've come for. That's not, can't Jesus see what is wrong with this man? Son, your sins are forgiven. They're not the words that they were looking for. That's not what they wanted their friend to hear. This man's need was obvious. But the fact is that Jesus has looked at this man and identified his greatest need. See, his greatest need is to be forgiven by God. His greatest need is that his sin be dealt with. His greatest need is to be made right with God. Now, don't misunderstand what Jesus is saying here. He's not saying that this man's illness is in some way connected to his sin, so therefore we need to forgive his sin. That's not it at all. Jesus looked at this man and saw what he needed above all else. Forgiveness to be made right with God. And the reason that Jesus knew that that was what this man needed is because that's what every single person needs. God's forgiveness to be made right with God. Healing this man would not have addressed his greatest need. No question about it, it's handy to have legs that work, but forgiveness was a far greater priority for this man. You need to keep the big picture in mind. Jesus has come into this world to address our greatest need. And that's what it says in Isaiah 53, isn't it? This remarkable promise that God would send his servant, the saviour who would come and deal with our sin. People often have the idea that Christianity is really just a list of do's and don'ts, uh, rights and wrongs that you could summarise Christianity with a bunch of rules But nothing could be further from the truth because the Bible is actually a book about relationships and specifically about our relationship with the God and creator of this world. 
And it's also about how we are to relate to each other because we know the God who created this world. When you read through the story of Israel in the pages of the Old Testament, it's a story of them repeatedly walking away from their relationship with God, repeatedly rejecting God, repeatedly ignoring God. The whole Old Testament seems to be this story of Israel's hard-heartedness towards God with tiny little patches of faithfulness scattered throughout. But it's also a story about God's remarkable patience with these people. In fact, it's quite breathtaking to see how patient God is. I mean, we wouldn't be that patient. We wouldn't put up with what God put up with. The people turn away from God, yet again and again, God keeps making it possible for them to come back to him, to be restored to a relationship with him, to be rescued, to be saved. And God's the one who keeps taking the initiative. The message in the Bible is that sin is serious, that sin damages relationships. You know that. You know that in your own relationships, don't you? I bet that every person here this morning would be able to tell stories about relationships of theirs that have been damaged by sin, damaged by lies or by anger or by selfishness, damaged because someone said or did the wrong thing. And for relationships to be restored, there's got to be forgiveness. Someone needs to ask for forgiveness and the other party needs to show it. Now, if we know that our relationships get stuffed up by sin, then why would we think that it's any different with God? But again, it's a pretty stunning thing that God has done. We are the ones who have wronged him, yet he's taken the initiative for us to be forgiven, for us to be restored. Back in 1998, uh, the Queen unveiled a series of statues that were placed under the western door of Westminster Abbey, 10 new statues, uh, 10 what they called 20th century martyrs. Uh, So it's these statues that were placed in here. And and the one on the left-hand side is a man by the name of Max Kolb. Uh, He was a prisoner in Auschwitz during the Second World War. And one of the men in his block was thought to have escaped. And the punishment was that 10 men were selected from his block by the commander and they were going to be sent to the starvation cell. As the name implies, these men would be sent there to starve to death. One of the men pleaded with the guards to be spared, but his pleading fell on deaf ears. And Max Kolb stepped forward and said that he was willing to take that man's place. Isn't that extraordinary? Do you think you could do that? He was willing to give his life to save another man's life. But Isaiah 53 says something even more amazing. This is the promise that God made hundreds of years before, that Jesus would be born and what Jesus would do. Isaiah speaks about this mysterious figure, this servant. The servant, and what will he do? He'll be pierced for our transgressions, 
crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him and by his wounds we are healed. The Lord has laid on him the iniquities of us all. My righteous servant will justify many, bear their iniquities, bore the sin of many, made intercession for the transgressors. This mysterious figure of the servant is going to be the substitute, the one who's willing to swap with you to take your punishment. He will deal with our greatest need. He will make it possible for us to be forgiven, make it possible for us to be restored to a relationship with God. There's no doubt that the New Testament writers clearly saw that Jesus was that servant. There's a a brief account um, in Luke's Gospel uh, of the birth of Jesus. And at that time, Jesus was taken up to the temple and a man by the name of Simeon just happened to, by chance, be there and see this tiny baby. And this is what we read. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, you have promised you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory, and for glory to your people Israel. That must have seemed like such a strange thing to Mary and Joseph. As they're making their way to the temple to do what the law required them to do, this man stops them, takes Jesus in his arms and says, God, my eyes have now seen your salvation. Matthew also tells us this that when Joseph found out that Mary was pregnant and he was aware that the child wasn't his, this is what happened. But after he'd considered this, that was considered divorcing her, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Jesus came to save people. He came to deal with the issue in our lives that makes us completely incapable of dealing with it ourselves, and that is our sin. Let me take you back to Mark's Gospel, Mark chapter 2. Jesus has just announced that this man's sins are forgiven and the legal experts are grossly offended that Jesus would dare say such a thing. As far as they're concerned, only God can forgive sins. So Jesus was, un- was aware that they wouldn't believe him. So he said to them, what's the easiest thing to do here? To say to this man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, stand up and walk? Now, they don't answer him, but the answer's pretty clear, isn't it? I mean... 
saying your sins are forgiven, well, that's just words. How do we know whether or not your sins have been forgiven? But to say to this man, stand up and walk, well, that's going to require some extraordinary activity. So Jesus says, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll do one in order to prove the other. And then in Mark chapter 2, verse 8, it says this. Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that what they were thinking in their hearts. So he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and take your mat and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. Could you imagine how quiet that room would have been at that particular point? Every eye, I'm sure, would have been on this guy lying on the floor. And then it says this. He got up, took his mat and walked out in full view of all of them. Well, Christmas is now only 22 days away. Uh, most of us probably scrambling around trying to figure out what we're going to get each other for Christmas. But as we move closer to Christmas, we do need to keep remembering what it is that we're celebrating. And it's not just the birth of Jesus, but it's the life that he lived and the forgiveness that he came to bring. Above all, we're remembering that the greatest need that we have is met in this greatest gift that God has given us in his Son.